Go ahead and turn to Acts 19. We are going to continue our verse-by-verse, line-by-line study through the book of Acts, picking up where we left off a couple weeks ago. By the way, I love it when the Lord confirms a message through worship and the things that the worship leader says. Beth pointed some things out there and and sang songs that had to do exactly with what the Lord kind of led me to focus on in this text today. And I think you guys are going to see that, which just for me is confirmation that I heard him right and confirmation that he's here with us wanting to do a work in us today. Now, let me just start by giving you guys a a little example that kind of applies to what we're going to talk about today. Recently, my in-laws were blessed with being able to purchase a home here. And uh, it was a foreclosure home that they won by auction. And so if you guys have any experience with those, often you buy those sight unseen. You don't get to go on the inside and see what's in there. And when they went inside of the house for the first time, what they found was that it was filled with years and years of stuff. All right. And I will not go into the detail on the stuff, but I let you say that it was mostly trash and junk. All right. Stuff that should have been thrown away weekly, but just built up in that place. Okay, And so the first order of business for them when they got this house was to clear it out of all the junk and all of the trash so that they could get a better idea on what needed to be done to make this home better and to improve it. And as I was thinking about that application or that example, I couldn't help but think of like, that is the first and foremost thing that the Lord does in our lives and really does all throughout our lives after you've made that decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If After you've asked him to forgive you of your sins and basically your life has been bought by him, you're his and his Holy Spirit comes to reside in your house, in you. The Bible's saying you're a temple of God now. And God loves the clean house. He loves to come into our lives and look at all the trash and junk, the things that aren't good for us, that are hindrances to the, the good things he wants to do, and start bringing those things to our attention to help us get rid of them so that they're replaced with more of him so we can experience the blessings he wants for us. So he can improve us for the better. Amen? Amen. All right? And we're going to see a great example of that very thing happen in the believers in Ephesus in this section of scripture we're in today. If you guys remember, we left off in Acts 19 verses 8 through 12. And where we left off, we saw Paul... He's in Ephesus. He's preaching the good news. He's giving us a great example of what most of our lives look like as followers of Jesus Christ and that he was working for a living. And in his free time, he was being used by God to teach the word of God to anyone that would hear and listen. And God used that faithfulness of him, the way he used his life for the Lord, or he lived it for the Lord. He used that faithfulness in a great way because for the two years he was doing this in Ephesus, it said that everyone in the province of Asia got to hear the word of God. And on top of that, he was using Paul to do some pretty miraculous things in that there were people being healed through their faith in Jesus simply by touching Paul's work clothes, his sweat rags in his aprons. And they were being set free from demonic uh, 
possession and, and basically healed of sicknesses. And so that's where we left off. And we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Um, let me go ahead and read the section we're going to be in. And I'm going to pray one more time and then we'll go through it. It says in verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Oh Lord, what a great example this is, Lord, of how when we see how real you are and how awesome you are in, in, in other people's lives, and we realize that that is what you want for us, our natural reaction is just, to give our lives to you and lay everything down that isn't of of you, that you've told us is bad and not good and, and give it to you. So you can burn it up just as we see here and replace it with your word and the things that you tell us that you have for us and that can prevail mightily in our lives. It can, it can give us victory over so many things that we feel defeated in. Lord, this is your will for us as your people. And as we go through your word today, Lord, may you just minister to us individually because you know where we're at. You know if there's things in our lives that are taking the place that only you should dwell in, that are distracting us from you, that are a hindrance in some way to experiencing the fullness of your blessing in our lives. And we don't want those things there. So if that's us, Lord, I pray that you would reveal it to us as we go through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse uh, 13 said, Then some of the itinerant, or the idea was they were traveling, Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke or call upon the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, and saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, or basically, I command you by Jesus. So verse 14 says, Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So at this time in, in, in this culture, what was happening is here, you had these Jewish priests who basically had a job of kind of going from town to town in trying to exercise or get evil spirits or demons out of people, okay? Most likely getting paid for their services. It was the way they made their living. And here in Ephesus, they see that basically Paul's having great success at their trade, at what they're doing for a living, is they saw evil spirits being cast out of people through faith in this Jesus they proclaimed. And this is a, a just as a follow up. Um, we talked about this last time how it wasn't the sweat rags of Paul or his aprons that had some magic 
ability to cast demons out of people. It just was the mechanism that people or that God used so people would have faith in the true one and only true God, Jesus, to help them. And God responded to that faith. And we see that here because these these Jewish exorcists, they think he has the formula to success in, in, in doing this and they try to copy it and they don't try to copy his sweat rags or aprons or using those things. They try to copy using the name of Jesus basically to cast demons out of people. And I want you to understand that these men aren't Christians. Okay. It says there in verse 13 that they knew of Jesus, the Jesus that Paul proclaimed, but they did not have a personal relationship with the Lord. Paul's faith couldn't be theirs without them believing in Jesus themselves. No more than my faith can be yours without you placing your faith in Jesus yourself. And that's something that I really want you to hear and examine in your own life today because there is a huge difference between knowing of God and knowing God personally in your life. You don't know God because I know him. You don't know God because your spouse knows him. You don't, young kids, you don't know God because your parents know him. Maybe you're here with a friend today. You don't know God because that friend does. The only way to know God is through belief in Jesus Christ and understanding that you are a sinner. You're guilty of doing things that God says are bad and wrong. And that no matter how hard you try, you cannot be perfect in your own power. And God being perfect demands us to be perfect, to have a relationship with him. But him being unwilling to leave you in that condition where you couldn't help yourself, he helped you. He sent his son, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, to die on a cross, which was the required price to pay for your sins and my sins, for all the sins of mankind. So you could be forgiven of him and you could be justified just as if you had no sin through your faith in Jesus, through his sacrifice for you because of his love for you. That is what makes you right with God. Believing that. Amen. And you want to know that you've made that choice for yourself because your eternity rests on it. It's not something you want to chance. So make sure you know that you've placed your faith in him yourself before you leave this place today. Now, because of these guys' lack of true faith and not having a relationship with God, their attempt to con, uh, combat or like basically try to cast out these demons, it doesn't go too well for them. And apparently evil spirits are aware of who they should be afraid of because they know Jesus and they know Paul, but they never heard of these guys, which means they must not have seen them as a very big threat. And so when they try to cast them out again, it, they are unable to defend themselves against this evil spirit. And it quickly overpowers them or basically beats them up and leaves them naked and wounded. And it goes on in verse 17. It says, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled or highly praised. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So word gets around town about this crazy demonic incident with the sons of Sceva, and it gives the people two things. One, a healthy reverence 
of God or a fear of God, just basically acknowledgement that he's real. And then also showing them how real and dangerous these demonic forces were. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 6, verse 12, that we're in a spiritual battle and there are dark forces under the control of, of Satan, our enemy, the enemy of God that are attempting to discourage us and really destroy us. The enemy's tactics always amounting to trying to kill, steal, and destroy. And we're in this battle all the time. And honestly, the longer I follow Jesus, the more aware of it that I am. That these voices I'm hearing in my head that aren't speaking the things of the Lord are not me or they're not who I they're coming through a person but the way i'm hearing it is not really what they're saying as paul says our battle against isn't against flesh and blood it's not against each other it's against these evil forces and so these guys they see firsthand this evidence of evil all right and the people that seeing that paul through the power of god the god he followed was successful at casting out these demons, whereas the Jewish Jewish exorcists weren't, or that basically God's or Paul's God was so powerful that these demons had to listen and obey to him. The people see this and they glorify Jesus, whom Paul was preaching as a result, as it says in verse 17, or basically God used this incident to show the people that Paul represented the one and only true God, And as a result, they believed in the Jesus that he preached that Paul said they needed to believe in so that they could know God. And according to verses 18 and 19, God used this incident also to show many believers that were still messing around with demonic stuff. Basically, they'd been saved, but they still had some of those old habits from their old life that were harmful to them. And Paul says here, or basically the word says here, that he used this incident to show them just how evil and how dangerous those demons or those spirits were and that they shouldn't mess with that stuff. So these believers convicted about their actions, they come confessing their sins, as verse 18 says, and burning their spell books, as verse 19 says, or they got rid of anything in their lives that they were using that were inviting these evil spirits to be a part of their lives. And I don't want to go too deep into this because it's a long conversation, but just as a way of reminder, I don't believe that demons can possess a believer of God because there's multiple verses, some of which are 2 Corinthians 6.14 and 1 John 2.9 that tell us that light, which is good, cannot dwell with evil, which is bad. But even though as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't be possessed, I do believe you can be oppressed. In fact, I feel oppression from the enemy quite often in my life. And what that means is that you better believe the enemy wants to discourage you and try to get you to believe his lies. We see him try to do that in multiple places in God's word, going after God's people, going after God himself, Jesus, trying to do that. And that's why it's so important to have a firm understanding of the word so that you can, the the word reveals those lies. It's what you stand on against them. It's how you recognize your shepherd's voice from the wrong voice. Amen. So these guys here, this is what's going on. They respond to it by getting rid of these things. And 
I want to point out that that's a true sign of genuine repentance. When we truly are repentant of something in our lives, when we've recognized that something is bad for us and it's not good, you better believe we're going to want to get rid of it so that there's no chance of backsliding to it. And these guys, they burn it. They don't want these things in their lives anymore. And they must have really understood the severity or danger of their sin as they disposed of these things in such a way that not only could they not have any chance of going back to them in their lives, but no one else could either. I mean, they destroy it. They burn it with fire. And this being despite the fact that they could have sold these things for a significant sum of money. 50,000 pieces of silver in that day would be about a year's wage for 150 people. So they could have sold it, but they're like, no. And I think the longer we live as believers and we realize just what the Lord has saved us from in our sin and we see the destruction it causes, not just to us, but to the people around us and how that just, the consequences, even though we're forgiven of it, can last for years, we become very aware of why God hates sin. And we don't want ourselves or anyone around us that's that's what drives that compassion to see people get saved from it because you realize how harmful it is and so these guys get rid of it and now we get to see the positive results of these actions in their lives as verse 20 says so the word of the lord continued to increase and prevail mightily this is what repentance or the removal of sin in the things that cause it in our lives always leads to spiritual growth or maturity. Sin inhibits our growth because it basically interrupts our fellowship with God. Doesn't separate us from him, but the Bible says in multiple places it interrupts. It's kind of like when your kid has sin in their lives that they haven't confessed to you and there's just this weirdness. And Jesus tells us that abiding with him or having no weirdness between him like staying connected with him as close as possible in john 15 he says that's absolutely necessary for you to be able to do anything for him and for him to be able to do anything in your life you can't produce fruit which are the good things god intends for you unless you are close and connected with him so we don't want anything in between us but when you turn from your sin towards god and remove those things that are harmful to you it allows as it says here, the word of the Lord to increase or take up that space in your life that you've emptied for him and prevail mightily. Or basically it allows God to change you to be like his son, Jesus. And guess what that results in? Blessing, happiness, peace, joy, everything Jesus wants for you. Amen. And I want to end on that point because this has a lot to do with what Jesus tells us right from the beginning of our relationship is necessary to follow him. Okay? He tells us in Matthew 16, 24 through 25, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. This verse gets cited a lot about carrying your cross, taking up your cross for Jesus. And I like how Jesus uses it or he, he uses that example of a cross because we can look at him and kind of understand what that means. Because the example of the cross where Jesus died for us is a good analogy because Jesus didn't necessarily enjoy that suffering he went through. 
We know that because in Luke 22, 42, uh, 42, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of his crucifixion, he's praying so hard. He's sweating blood as he's taking on the sins of mankind as he understands what he's about to go through. And he says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So the cross was very much suffering. And when you suffering in the Bible means what suffering you, you probably understand it to mean. not good, not pleasant, not something that you would choose for yourself, not something that feels good. And so the cross was every bit of that for Jesus. Yet he was submitted to God's will. Why? Well, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us he was able or he was willing to go through that hard and uncomfortable suffering because of the joy that was set before him. Ultimately, he was willing to take up his cross. He was willing to do something that was hard, that maybe he wouldn't have chosen for himself, that he didn't enjoy he was willing to do it because of the good that was going to come from it and that good that joy was you and it was me it was knowing that that was the only way that chris suits could be forgiven of his sin and know him he do he did that knowing that that was the only way connor and taryn could be made right in his eyes and have a relationship with him for all eternity he knew did that knowing that Britain and Jordan, that was the only way they'd be able to experience the fullness of God in their lives. They'd be able to experience the peace they so desperately wanted, the joy they so desperately wanted, the identity that only can be found in God. All these things we look for in the world and we can never find. That was the only way. And that is the joy that was set before him and he was willing to do it. In his death, he gave us life. And in what we feel like is the death of things in our lives, as we give them up, that's where you'll find life. That's what he says there in Matthew, in Matthew 16, 24, when he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If you try to hold on to what you want, you're never going to find what you're looking for. But if you're willing to give him what he wants, You'll find everything you're looking for in Christ. And the reality is whatever you're giving to God and the longer you live for Jesus, you really realize this. You're never giving anything that you don't get far more back in return. He actually tells us that in Mark 10, 28 through 30, when he says, Peter basically comes to him and says, we've given everything up to follow you, Lord. And Jesus says, yes, you have. But he goes on to say, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property, along with persecution. You'll get difficulty too. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. You may not see it at first, but what you get back from God will be infinitely better because you get to enjoy it for all eternity. And here's what I've learned over the years of following Jesus. It's often the things that the Lord wants me to give up that are the very things that are inhibiting me from experiencing the fullness of what he has for me. I don't want to give it up at first, but after I do, 
I find out all along that what I was looking for in that thing, I was trying to find joy in it. I was trying to find peace. I was trying to find contentment. After I give it up, when I, in my mind, have nothing left but Jesus, I find out that he's all I needed all along. And I find that thing that I wanted so desperately. And it isn't always sinful, bad things. I should add that because we can take something that's perfectly meant to be a blessing in our life and look at it in an unhealthy way or allow it to become unhealthy and that we're trying to find something in it that only Jesus can give us. And maybe he doesn't want us to take it away, but maybe he wants to reveal that, hey, you're looking at this thing in the way wrong way. You're not going to find me in your spouse. You're not going to find me in your kids. You're not going to find me in your job. All things that are good that I've given you, but you need to let these things go and look to me for this. So as an act of grace, he asks us to give those things up and he gives us what we're looking for all along. I saw or I had a great practical example of this today just in in life or this this week in that um, we're watching uh, my wife's sister's children. Uh, There's four extra kids in our household that's already full. (laughs) All under eight, three of which are girls, which I know nothing about. And uh, one thing that I've noticed throughout the week is that these girls are always hungry and it's mostly for things that aren't good for you. And part of the problem or part of the reason that that is, is because when it does come to eating the things that are good for them, like at mealtime, they eat like birds. They just only want a little. And as a result, they're never satisfied. They're never content. And they're always wanting snacks. And so what my wife has to do is basically cut off the snacks so that they eat more real food. And as a result, they're satisfied and content. Or they're basically finding what they're looking for, that they're never going to find in what they think they need. And I couldn't help but think, like, that's our lives in a nutshell, right? We want this, we want that because we think it's going to be good. We think we're going to find what we're looking for. And God's like, I got to cut you off (laughs) because you're never going to find it in that thing. You're only going to find it in me. Here's what's good for you. Here's where you're going to find your satisfaction. Here's where you're going to find your joy. Here's where you're going to find your contentment. And here in the people of Ephesus, they basically do the same thing, right? They hear the good news about Jesus and the word of God from Paul. They saw how real it was firsthand by these amazing works that were being done. And they see the blessedness of following Jesus as these people are being set free from oppression of evil spirits. They're being healed of their sicknesses. And when they realized that they were finding that stuff in the worldly things they were going after. And then they realized that some of the stuff in their lives were downright dangerous. It wasn't good for them. They counted the cost, got rid of it, literally allowing it to be consumed with fire. So there was no going back to it. And it led to God in his word and his desires for them to fill that space that had been created and for him to prevail in their lives in a mighty way. So they got to experience the fullness of his blessings for them. Basically, it led to revival. And as the worship team comes up here, I just want to end on that thought. 
Because as I said at the beginning, this is something that applies to all of us, no matter where, where, you're, where you're at today. Maybe you're here today and you would fall into that camp of somebody that, well, I know of God. I know of this Jesus you're talking about, but no, I don't have this personal relationship you speak of where I can talk with him and hear from him and, and being changed by him. And my guess is that you came here today probably with discontentment in your life. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you lack joy. Maybe you lack peace. Maybe you struggle with fear and worry. And it's not that you want those things. You're looking for all those things. You're trying to find them in thing after thing in this world. And not everything you're looking at is even bad, but you just can't find what you're looking for. And that's because it's only going to be found in Jesus, the one who created you and you were made to know for eternity that you can't know apart from faith in him yourself. And what the Lord would be asking you to lay down today is your life, not to die for him, but to, in a sense, surrender it over so that he can be Lord of your life because you're tired and weary from trying to Lord over your own life and it not working out for you. And you have that opportunity to do that right here in this place today. For us that know Jesus Christ, as I said before, this is a continual process. And if you came here today and you're feeling distant from God, you're feeling like it's hard to be in his word I'm not getting anything out of it. It's hard for me to talk with him. It's hard for me to even want to keep serving him. There's a good chance that that's because you're filling your appetite with something other than him. And you simply just need to let that thing go. Give it to him willingly. Because the reality is whatever you're looking for in it, you're not going to find. It's only going to be in Jesus just like everything else. And there's probably some of you right now that the Holy Spirit's telling you exactly what that thing is that's in an unhealthy place in your life. And you just need to bring it to him. It says in Hebrews 12, 28 through 29, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, or because of this, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Since we know that what we've received from God, that what he has to give us is so much better than anything we can find in this world. We should have no problem bringing anything that is inhibiting us from knowing him, that's getting in the way of experiencing the fullness he has for us. We should have no problem bringing it to him as an act of worship so he can burn it up. Just as Beth was talking about at the beginning, so he can take it away, not to disappoint you, not to take something away that's good for you, but basically to take something away that's inhibiting you from finding what you're looking for so he can give it to you. But he's not going to force himself to do that or force you to do that. It's always a choice. You can fill yourself with the stuff that's going to leave you empty, that's never going to bring you contentment or peace or joy, or you can fill yourself with Jesus. And there is no filling yourself with the Lord too much. When it talks about being filled with him, it's always an overflowing cup. He wants to fill and pour out of you so you can pour him into other people. And so we're going to 
take a moment here before we go and fill our bellies with food and just respond. We're going to have our prayer team up around up here up front and give all of us just a chance to ask the Lord, what does this mean for me? I feel that way, Lord. I feel distant. I feel discouraged. I don't feel like I'm close to you. And as I said earlier, maybe you know what, what it is that's kind of distracting you, that's taking too much space in your life. You're never going to make a mistake by giving something up for more of Jesus or to make him the priority. I'll tell you that right now. I've done it more than a couple of times and I've never regretted it. And now it's going to be a chance for you just to talk to God, lay it at the altar, say, Lord, take this. I want what you have. This is a chance for you too, if you came here not knowing him today, to give your life to him. And if you don't know how to do that, if that sounds kind of intimidating, like I don't even know where to start or what to ask, come up and get prayer. We'll love to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need prayer with another believer just because you feel that distance and and you don't even know what it is in your life that could be preventing that. But you want to know because you want to be close to God. You want everything he has for you. Amen? Don't miss out on this opportunity. I encourage our body often, don't leave here saying you're going to do it later. To be a doer of the word, we do it now. If God is prompting you right now, if the Holy Spirit is telling you that's you, Respond right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, Lord, I'm so thankful over and over again in my life, every time you help me see that there's something in it that is doing no good for me, that I'm committing too much time to or that is bad for me, it's hurting me in some way or I'm looking at it or looking to it to give me something that it isn't doing and isn't ever going to do. I'm so thankful when you show me those things and help me get rid of them. Because every time what you've given me in return is far greater or it's exactly what I was wanting in that thing. <laughs> Everything I need is always has always and will always be found in you, Jesus. And I know that's the same for every person here today that's hearing this or watching online. And so, Lord, we want to willingly come to you and give up whatever it is that's getting in the way of experiencing what you have for us. Lord, if we feel distance, if if, if our appetite for you has diminished in some way, and, and we don't even know why, Would you just reveal it to us now? Would you show us those things? Would we listen to your spirit as you convict us, knowing that you desire to give us something better and just give that thing up and trust you, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it is hard or something we wouldn't choose to do, may we just trust you in faith so that you can glorify yourself, so you can show yourself to us and we can experience your, what you have for us in a greater way. I pray for anyone here that has not placed their faith in you as the Lord and Savior. They would make that choice today, Lord. They would not leave here. Maybe they came here knowing of you, but they would leave here knowing you personally. Have your way in this place, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.